are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. So I thought I'd start by telling you why I'm doing this show. (laughs) I've been depressed since my dad died in 2011. And, you know, a lot of people have talked to me about, oh, well, you know, maybe it's just grief. Um, But grief feels different than depression. You know, I I, I grieved very hard and, and felt deeply sad. And it's not that I don't miss my dad anymore and my stepdad who also died in the same year. It's, it's a different feeling. It, when I was feeling grief, it was like the color went out of the world. You know, everything looked gray. I didn't want to go anywhere or do anything, and I felt a little destroyed, actually. It felt really, really oppressive. But with depression, I feel like it's almost like a hangover from that period, like a hangover from my dad's dying. And I don't want to go anywhere, I don't want to do anything, I don't want to call friends back. And that doesn't feel like me. So, you know, at, at a certain point, I try different things. And, it, and, it, and it's not a feeling of like, you know, I don't like my friends and I don't want to see them. It's more, it's, it's, I still am doing things, I'm still going places and seeing people. It's just every invitation feels like a ugh instead of a wee. Normally, people would invite me to do things, and my first feeling would be, wee, yay! And instead, it's just, ugh. <laughs> and it's been that way for, like, four years. And so I've tried different things, and nothing's helped that much. So I thought that I'd just talk about how what happened that year that my dad died. I It was 2011, and I was gonna walk home. I was doing a big crazy performance project. I'm a performance artist. And I was gonna walk from Tucson, Arizona to Grand Rapids, Michigan and see my family. So I, on the day after um, Gabrielle Giffords was shot and all the people were massacred on that day, I got on Facebook and told people, just to let you know, I'm fine, (laughs) I wasn't in it. And thanks for all your warm thoughts for Tucson. And my stepmother, who was married to my stepfather, he, had, my mother had divorced, and he'd remarried. She actually wrote me and said, "Hey, let's Skype. We got broadband at the farm." And I thought, "Yay, yay, broadband! Let's let's Skype." So I called them up the next day on Skype, January 9th. Got to see them, and I hadn't talked to my stepdad that much. We weren't great at communicating, but he raised me since I was 13. And I, at the end, I blew him a kiss, and I said, I "Love you. I'll see you when I get there." You know, and he was a techie guy, so he's all excited to see me walking because he could. I was actually walking home with a live webcam that captured every moment of the whole journey, and he was really excited about that. And he blew me a kiss back, and he said, "I love you. I'll see you when I get there." And I blew him another kiss, and I said, "I love you," <laughs> and they blew me kisses back. And that night, he died in his sleep, and so I dedicated the project to him. And then, you know, along the way home, I I walked. 20, you know, between 12 and 20 miles a day, which was really an amazing journey, and people were incredibly kind, and I stayed in people's houses along the way. And every morning, my dad would get on the computer, 
go see what I was seeing because you would get a view of whatever I was looking at. And he'd see what I was seeing and he'd uh, call me up and say, hey, uh, is that a barn up ahead? Or are you on the state highway? <laughs> are you on I-40? <laughs> and I'd say, yeah, dad, I'm on I-40. I'm in New Mexico. There are not any side roads in this part. So, you know, we'd chat. And then somewhere in the middle of the 100 degree heat in Kansas, in the middle of my journey with wind and sand and dirt and just walking miles and miles, my dad started calling and his voice didn't sound right. He sounded off. And um, I was like, Daddy, you all right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just a little tired. And then my stepmother started texting me and my brother and saying, I don't think your dad's okay. I'm really, really worried. So my brother and I talked about it. And I said, should I stop my journey and just fly home and see Dad? He said, listen, I'm going to visit him, and I'll report up back. And he went to visit, and he called me up and said, yeah, no, I mean, he's not good. <laughs> Uh, it looks awful. It was pretty, you know, he's not doing well. And I, but I don't think he's going to die tomorrow. I mean, he's all right. He's, he's seeing his doctor and he's doing okay. So I kept walking and I would start calling him every day. And I started asking him stuff about his childhood. Like, what was it? What was your first Christmas like? And he told me a story of getting a chemistry set. And I kept walking and I got to Michigan and walked right up to my, with K, uh, Fox News in Grand Rapids, walked up to my mother's door and gave her a hug and said, hi, I'm here. And then, because um, my dad was so ill, I flew down to Florida to see him and literally didn't recognize him. I, he got, I got off the plane and I didn't recognize him. He was shriveled and looked awful and, and old. He'd never look old to me and he looked old. And I stayed with him for a month over Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving's coming up, so this really touches my heart. So I stayed with him over Thanksgiving, and he couldn't have salt. I had CHF, congestive heart failure, so his lungs would fill up with water. His body was filling up with water, and he had to be on diuretics to get rid of the water all the time. So he was like, strict orders, no salt. So I cooked him Indian food with no salt. I cooked him lasagna with no salt, which kind of tastes terrible, but he loved it. He was so touched that I cooked all these meals for him, and we hung out and watched football. <laughs> U of M. So anyway, we hung out together for that month and at Thanksgiving I made a big big Thanksgiving dinner. My stepmother cooked the turkey and I made all the trimmings and my dad said, you know, we we're just sitting there eating and he said this is the best Thanksgiving ever and he started to cry. And it was. It was the best Thanksgiving ever. It was my last you know, Thanksgiving with my dad. My last meal with my dad, practically, was sitting down with Thanksgiving. And then I went back to Michigan to pack up my stuff and drive to Tucson with my mom. And my stepmother gave us the call and said, you need to come to Florida. And I said, can I bring my mom? Because <laughs> we've got her car all packed up with my stuff. And she said, yeah, your mom is a big part of your dad's life. She loved him and she should be here. So we drove to Florida. And my dad was dying to talk to me. And the thing he wanted to tell me is that the uh, uh, food at the hospital was terrible. The service at the hospital was terrible. <laughs> that he had to wait an hour to get a glass of water. My stepmom said, 15 minutes. And I said, uh-huh. And my dad went, an hour. I have to wait an hour for water. So <laughs> he, um, the next day he couldn't talk. And the next day I would literally had my hands on his body as he took his last breath. And I decided in that moment, I really 
really want to be there when each important person in my life dies because it was really beautiful actually just to just me and my stepmom and my brother with our hands on his body as he as he died it was kind of amazing after that I did feel horrible grief and there's all the paperwork of death was because his executor like selling my family home paying his mortgage <laughs> talking to bill collectors and then um, it got better you know that that lifted uh, his household that helped and um, over time it got better but just because you feel better it's like I feel like depression is like a hangover from my dad dying you know kind of like a bad hangover where I'm not sad anymore actually I'm really happy and I love my life and I'm having lots of fun but I still have that response of like uh to every invitation part of this program is I'm going to try remedies and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and I'm going to have you guys in on the process first thing that I'm going to try is actually sunlight <laughs> there have been studies to show that sunlight can help vitamin D can help with depression and I did get my vitamin D checked last year and it was low and they've had me on 2,000 milligrams of vitamin D and it's still low they want me to take 4,000 milligrams a day of vitamin D so I figure we live in Arizona <laughs> and there's all this available vitamin D if I just go outside but with depression sometimes it's hard to convince yourself to go outside so this week and going onward I'm gonna go outside every day get a little sunlight and report on it and let you guys in on the process I have a podcast that I'll be posting this and I'll be looking for suggestions from all of you so on that note thank you for listening to my story and I'd like to introduce Dan Buckley Dan Buckley is a documentary filmmaker composer founder of the little dinks very important budding photographer and a really good friend for the past 10 years so Dan welcome glad to be here Laura um, you've got me through some hard times over the years actually and, and vice versa yeah. And vice versa. We, yeah, we've kind of carried each other along. I just wondered what you're working on these days, if you want to share a little bit with everybody. Well, uh, I'm currently doing a film called The Mariachi Miracle, and it's a film about the ways in which youth mariachis and folklorico groups transform their community economically, socially, politically, educationally, and artistically. And it's um, a project that really came out of my 22 years of working with the Tucson Citizen and uh, really the best film I'll probably ever get to make. Wondrous stories and you know every time I go into an interview I learn more than I, I I thought I had a pretty good grasp of what this story was going into it and I'm pleased to say I couldn't have been more wrong. It's much <laughs> better than I ever imagined. Wonderful. And if, if folks wanted to find out about it, is there somewhere they could... Yeah, I have a Facebook page for The Mariachi Miracle, my own Facebook page, Daniel Buckley. And, of course, uh, I have a website, danielbuckleyarts.com, where you can find it and most other artistic endeavors that I've been involved in over the years and I'm still involved in now, from photography to music to, you know, everything that I do. And you do do everything. Yeah, the <laughs> kitchen sink aspect there. <laughs> or a renaissance man. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that too, I suppose. Yeah, yeah so... In medieval times. <laughs> <laughs> So, Dan, um, tell us the story of your depression. 
Well, you know, um, depression, uh, most people who know me would, would think of me as being a very happy-go-lucky kind of guy. And uh, like many happy-go-lucky guys, there's also a darker streak that goes along with that. My family has had a, a history of, of depression. Uh, my mom had her first four children, you know, in rapid succession, what we call Irish quads. You know, th there was a point where it was almost too much for her. I had a brother who was in Vietnam who had post-PTSD uh, uh, and also was bipolar. I have two sisters who have suffered from depression from time to time. And I myself am no stranger to this, um, you know. I probably had my first bouts of depression when I was in middle school, and they still come from time to time. And I, and I think that, that their, you know, depression kind of lurks under the skin and waits for uh, a trigger to set it off, and suddenly that old friend that you wish you never had was back again. Uh, so that's kind of kind of where things are. Uh, as, as most of you know, I was a writer and multimedia manager for the Tucson Citizen for 22 years, and that time with the paper was incredibly great. I think I was actually good at it and felt that I'd made a difference in the community through my work, and I loved the people that I worked with. I loved my bosses. They were all great people. And the community, I feel, really recognized what I was doing and my commitment to the city. And then in January of uh, 2009, the president of Gannett Newspapers, which owned the Tucson Citizen, dropped by to let us know that they were going to close us down in April. It took them till May to do so, but the net result was the same. Me and 70 of my best friends at the Citizen suddenly found ourselves uh, without jobs, without that support team, and obviously without the revenue stream of, of being you know, working. Most of them were married and had spouses that worked. Most of them also had kids to provide for. I had neither, which was both a blessing and a curse. But I'd also been through this rodeo before. Uh, back in the mid-80s, I left the record business, which I'd been involved in for about 11 years, and for two years supported myself through a precarious acrobatic act of, of various weird jobs as a performance artist, freelance writer, photographer's assistant, collective gallery president, music consultant, and probably a few other things that I can't think of for the life of me. But those, those two years were stressful, and yet things just sort of came together in the nick of time. And of course, on the other hand, I was in my 30s at that point, and so enjoying that careening lifestyle was, uh, was kind of perfectly okay with me. I somehow made it work, but at 56, uh, which is what I was when the Citizen closed, um, I was too old for most people to hire and too young to retire, and frankly there were no jobs to be had anyway. So, you know, it, funny funny story, about a month ago I ran into one of my cohorts from the, from the Citizen and he told me that he was still unemployed, and I said to him, well, I prefer to call myself a filmmaker. Uh, it's basically the same thing, but uh, without the, the, the good hours. <laughs> but, you know, uh, now it's been six years. What savings and retirement I had have long since bled away. I'm in debt like many others, 
And when I do the math, sometimes I wonder if I'm ever going to come out of this. As I say, uh, depression is, is no stranger. When I was in middle school, I, I was a gawky, thin kid. Uh, I weighed 119 pounds and was 6'2", and um, wondered if I would ever gain weight. I'm pleased to say I've made fantastic breakthroughs in this, <laughs> and uh, now I'm about <laughs> double that, so uh, now I wonder if I'll ever lose it. But, you know, I was a focused science kid. I was doing comedy and things of that nature. And, but for the most part, I wanted to be a geologist of the moon. In those days, we were going to the moon. And I figured there'd be a second generation that would get started doing things. And so when the University of Arizona accepted me uh, and the Lunar and Planetary Laboratory was one of the best places in the country for doing that sort of work, I was elated, not least of all because it was warm here. Uh, growing up in upstate New York along the Hudson River and freezing my butt off every day was not appealing and frankly depressing, and storms that lasted weeks for a time uh, were not my idea of a good time. So I traded that for the sunshine of Arizona, which I immediately gave up and lived in the science library, uh, which is what you do when you, you know, are prone to depression. So I, I spent most of my time there, just uh, scanning through periodicals and reading those books that were footnotes and papers I'd read when I was a kid. But hey, I had a girlfriend. Uh, it was warm. It was hot. When it rained, it got done in a hurry. But things changed my sophomore year. Midway through, we landed on the moon for the last time. And I remember my professor saying to me, we're probably not going to do that again for 50 years. And I thought he was joking because you know, why would we spend 10 years of national treasure going to the moon, just plant a flag and go away? But that's exactly what we did. So at, at that point, I, you know, he said to me, you're at the University of Arizona, take anything and everything you're interested in. And I did. Six months after that, my childhood best friend, Steve Gutterman, was killed in an auto wreck. And he'd always been my backup plan. And I figured if you know, I didn't, the moon thing didn't work out. He and I would just do stand-up comedy, and um, suddenly Steve was gone. And so that was a pretty dark time for me for about a year. And then a year after that, I started working in record stores, and I met all these people who loved music the way that I loved it and, and taught me so much, you know, both customers and people that I worked with. And that kind of got me back on my feet again and learned the life skill that friends are very important when you're, when you're depressed. Uh, you know, you don't think about that that much, but they really are. So, you know, as I say, I got that job. Uh, it was, it was, uh, there, there did come a point, though, where I had to figure out what I was going to do when I grew up, and I'm still working on that. And, and I sat down and started thinking about things I could do and what I really wanted in life, which was a huge record collection. And so I became a music critic so that people would send them to me for nothing, and that worked out for a long time. <laughs> and, and I, I worked for first a, a rock and roll newspaper called Newsreel, then I worked for the Tucson Weekly for a little while, and then I went to work for the Tucson Citizen. And I, I will never forget how elated my mom was that I was finally going to be working for an organization that I could retire from. And, uh, oh well, you know, so much for that. <laughs> Uh, which brings us back to now, you know, when the citizen closed in 2009, they weren't hiring anybody. 
my cohorts grabbed the, the jobs that they could. And since then, it's been, you know, a series of up and downs and all sorts of emotional crises uh, and financial crises along the way. Last week has been, or last year, has been particularly challenging because a gig I was supposed to have for four months that would cover me for a while uh, was snatched away from me by uh, somebody who was a board member of that organization who wanted to move the money into his organization instead. And uh, so that made last year very, very difficult. But, you know, this project is also a great thing. I have met many, many friends. It's very, very hard to be depressed when you're hearing this music, when you're seeing these kids achieve so much in their lives. And, you know, to be honest with you, too, uh, at, at various points in my life when I've had depression, I've gone and sought professional help, and they've taught me a few tricks along the way, one of which is, uh, you know, when you, when you find yourself sort of obsessing about, you know, the things that are bringing you down, what's going on is, is your mind is looping in one hemisphere of your brain. And so if you take, you know, a ball or any small object and just pass it back and forth between your hands, you're forcing your brain to switch hemispheres and you break that loop and you get out of that. Still though, I think the most important things have, you know, that have helped me over the years have been friends. Getting out and walking uh, is hugely, hugely important, the endorphins that that uh, brings in. And admitting it when you, when you are, you know, starting to have problems, uh, which is harder to do than you would ever imagine. So I think that's pretty much what I was going to, uh, going to say here today. Uh, one, one more thing, uh, you know, getting back to that passing the, the, uh, the object back and forth, it can also be just, you know, sitting down and typing at the keyboard. As long as you're using both hands, that's the trick. Um, I find playing music at night both gives me an outlet to, you know, deal with the emotions that I'm feeling and that opportunity to use both hands and break those loops. So uh, with that cheery note of depression, uh, you know, I turn it back to the professionals. <laughs> I don't know if that's me, but uh, it's not. <laughs> Dan, thanks so much for sharing your story. I you know, really appreciate you coming into the studio today. It's my first show, and I will admit to some nerves and, uh, you know, wondering if all this technology will work for me. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons I invited Dan. He, he, he understands many things about sound and technology and uh, computers and all sorts of wonderful things. He's been a resource to me many times over the years, and I've really appreciated that. And back at you. You know, you've been a great resource for me, both as a, as a friend, as a collaborative partner, and, and just somebody who has introduced me to a million other people that I would not have met otherwise, who really enrich my life all the time. Yeah. And something I noticed when you were telling your story is the theme of, like, not the first rodeo and like you know one of my experiences of depression was I assumed that this was kind of the first time I really had depression like real depression whatever that's supposed to mean and then I started looking back and I'm like oh how about the year after I graduated from graduate school and cried every day I didn't think that was depression I just thought you know I'm I, I'm I broke up with a boyfriend and it was change I was just adjusting right but I don't know that it's normal to cry every day I go out to Sabino Canyon and uh, 
walked to the end of the canyon crying. And by the time I got to the end, I'd walk back feeling pretty good. So I thought, well, I'm not depressed. I feel pretty good. <laughs> that's, that's how I usually do it. I find whimpering and, and snorting uh, are very helpful. <laughs> A little whimpering and snorting will get you through anything. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We're meant to whimper and snort. <laughs> You know, I think that a lot of times it's hard to identify when you're depressed because it might not look sad. It might not look like what you think depression is. You know, and one of my hopes with this journey is that people will have an experience where they, you know, know, they relate to something that they hear on this show. You know, along with that note, I do want to say again that some of the content on today's show might be triggering for someone and to you know please seek professional help if if you hear something on the show and it it triggers something for you that's emotional um, make sure you see a professional and you know seek professional help and worst case scenario call 911 if you're really feeling like you might hurt yourself or somebody else I mean Part of the idea of the show is I'm not a licensed therapist. The show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of the show is just to destigmatize depression through storytelling. Because when I started telling people, and it was really hard to do, but saying, hey, I'm feeling pretty depressed. I found that people responded with, yeah, I went through that last year, or oh my God, me too. I think you might have been one of those people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just the mere act of telling people, I'm having a hard time. Just telling somebody. It's, it takes huge bravery to tell somebody. And I'm, I'm really honored by how many people have gone on, uh, communicated with me. I've been posting things through the Depression Session podcast on Facebook. You can find the page. How many people have written me to say, I'd like to be on your show because it is an act of bravery just to tell your story. Again, I want to mention that if you found some of the content of today's show triggering, please seek professional help. And worst case scenario, call 911 if you're feeling like you might hurt yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.